Hello again, friends, and welcome to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. My name is Gwen DeSelm, and I am pleased to be your host for this podcast as we bring biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. As we continue our series called Stories of the Kingdom, we come to the parable of a great banquet and the shocking response of the invited guests. Jesus uses this story to turn people's understanding of the kingdom upside down. Who will be at the table in the end? You might be surprised. Here's Dave with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The year was 1967, and all around our country, the civil rights movement was front page news. Some of you who are my age recognize and remember the 60s well. There were some ugly days in the 60s. And they're the heroic efforts of people like Dr. King and others who finally helped America wrestle with its racism. That year, in 1967, a film was released that dramatically pictured the struggle. It starred two of Hollywood's biggest stars, Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn. It also starred a relative newcomer, an actor named Sidney Poitier. The movie ended up receiving no less than 20 nominations for Academy Awards, and it won two Oscars that year. Anybody want to hazard a guess as to what the title of that movie was in 1967? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. How many of you have ever seen Guess Who's Coming? Yeah, a bunch of you have seen it. Uh, For you who have not not have seen it, it's about this college girl, this white college girl, and that's very important to know, this white college girl who brings her fiancé, Dr. John Prentice, home to meet her parents. They fancied themselves as being quite broad-minded, but now their values are put to the test because although he's this uh, internationally known medical doctor, impeccably mannered, handsome, well-dressed from a great family, there's one not-so-small wrinkle in her fiancé coming to dinner. What's the wrinkle? He's black. And like I said, she was white. And that was the whole essence of the movie. And through that dinner event those parents had to grapple with what they really valued and didn't value. 2,000 years ago, there was another dinner. It was a dinner that Jesus attended, and at that dinner, people were as well forced to grapple with what they valued. And hopefully, you'll have to grapple with it as well. Luke 14 has Jesus invited to a dinner party, but you need to know the whole thing's a setup. It says in verse 1 of the text that everyone was watching him. And the reason why was the leaders, the elite who invited them there, had a plant in the crowd. There was a man suffering from a, a physical ailment, and very quickly they brought him forward to Jesus. And there was a reason why. It was the Sabbath. And they were trying to put Jesus in the horns of a dilemma. Would he heal this guy on the Sabbath or not? And they hoped to discredit him through that whole event. So the whole thing's a setup. So it's tension. From the very first moment of that dinner, there's high tension. Jesus, of course, handles it brilliantly. And you can read the first 14 verses on your own. But he turns right away from healing that guy, and he begins to nail these people in the crowd. He talks about their pride. He said, you know, 
You people always want the best seats. He talks about their prejudice. And you always want to be around the beautiful, don't you? And by this time, everyone's looking at their toes, and the atmosphere is so electric that people just don't know what to say. So some guy just blurts out in verse 15. You ever notice that? Sometimes in a real nervous time, someone will just spout out some religious platitude. Someone bursts out with verse 15. And they say there in verse 15, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now the people in that day really were looking forward to the kingdom. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming, ushering in God's kingdom. So they would call out, oh, that we might see the Messiah. Oh, that we could go to his dinner. And all the blessings of those who are going to be at the dinner. But in so doing, they were making two assumptions. Certain people are going to get to go to that dinner. And certain people aren't. And in their way of thinking, those who got to go were them. And Jesus turns this whole thing on its ear. Watch what happens. Jesus replied. He said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Let me pause right there. The people of Jesus' day would have readily understood what was happening. This idea of a double invitation going out was quite common, and here's why. When you were going to throw a big banquet, you couldn't simply go down to Kroger. You had to literally choose the meat, kill the animal, prepare it, and get everything ready. That took some time. So because of that, servants would go out inviting people to try to see how many would come to the banquet. Depending upon the number of RSVPs, that would literally create the kind of meat that was eaten. For example, if only two to four came, they'd eat a chicken or two. A duck would be killed for five to eight. A kid goat would be slain for 10 to 15. A sheep for 15 to 35. And a calf would be killed if 35 to 75 people said said they were going to come. And then the appropriate amount of bread would be baked. It all depended upon the numbers of folks who said, we'll be there. So, according to this text, everything is now ready, and now the master of the feast says to his servants, now go back out to those who said they were coming, and tell them, come, everything is now ready. Here's what happened. Continuing on this text, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, in our setting, it's rude enough. How many of you have ever received an RSVP to go to a wedding reception, right? And they said, okay, we're going to have a sit-down meal. We want to prepare the food. And it'd be rude to say, I'm coming, and not go. In that day, in this day, even in the Middle East, it's the height of rudeness. Hospitality is so huge in the Middle East To jack somebody around like this would have been a huge, huge insult. This guy here says, I've just bought a field. Now, when Jesus' crowd heard that, they just started laughing. Because it was among the lamest excuses that you can give. Nobody ever buys a field without looking at it first. In that time, arable land, land that would grow crops, was very rare. So you'd always look at the ground first to see if it would produce. It'd be like you saying to somebody, I can't go. I've just bought a house over the phone, and I've got to see what neighborhood it's in. And What? <laughs> what? You wouldn't do that. 
So Jesus is saying, look how lame the excuse is. The people would have been shaking their head. Continuing on, verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, the people in the crowd would have started laughing. Nobody ever bought oxen that way. When a person wanted to sell a team of oxen, the seller would say one of two things. Either there's a test plot at the side of town. I'm going to take my team there, and you're welcome to work with them yourself to see how they pull together. Or he would say, I'm going to be pulling on my own property. You're welcome to come and observe to see how well the animals pull together. Nobody would ever buy oxen sight on scene, and yet that's what the guy's excuse was. I've already bought them. I'm going to go try them out. People started laughing. They said, that's lame. He continues on. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. People just started laughing as well. Who in the world says yes to somebody else's invitation on their own wedding day? Moreover, weddings in those days would last for days. And in small villages, you'd never have two primary functions that would be at odds with each other. Either you're going to have a big wedding and all the feasting, or you're going to have a general banquet. You never have the two of them together. What this guy was basically saying was this. There's another person who I'd rather spend time with than you. So I'm not going to honor the invitation. All this comes together. And Jesus basically says this. The servant came back and reported this all to his master. And the owner of the house became angry. Angry. Continuing on. He ordered his servant... Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now there's a lot of symbolism going on here. Obviously the master of the banquet in Jesus' parable is God. And in many ways, we see the symbolism here of God's people, the Jews, God's chosen people, being called to this great banquet. And they didn't want to come, not on the terms which which they were called. And so now God is going to turn to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. You've got to ask yourself, why didn't people want to come to the banquet at Jesus' time? They didn't want to come because the banquet he was inviting them to wasn't what they expected. They were looking forward to this wonderful Savior, this Messiah coming, who would destroy the Romans and lead them to victory. Jesus came his first time as a servant, a suffering servant, and he was calling them to be servants. Moreover, he tended to lean into those who were broken and hurting, the lepers and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And he was saying to them, those are the people that you should focus on too. And when these, the religious elite, heard this, they thought, whoa, maybe I don't want to be with you after all. That's the point of the parable. That's what Jesus is saying to them. So when he said to them, the kingdom has come, come, people were saying, I don't like the terms of the invitation. And as I read through this, I thought, what does this say to us? To be sure, I think there's a warning. Because in the midst of our consumeristic Christianity of today, 
When we love this idea of what do I get, what do I get, what do I get? When we hear the Savior say, you know what? It's not all about what you get, it's what you give. How many people do you know that say, whoa, I don't know that I want to follow that kind of Jesus either. And increasingly, I'm so concerned with this selfish Christianity that I see today. And we want to seek to, 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 uh, to sit and to soak and to celebrate the banquet. And Jesus says, you are sent to seek and to serve and to sacrifice and to share. You still want to be part of my kingdom now? And I see Christians, so-called Christians today, who are grappling with that. And the reason why I think this is part of the context is look at the very next verses that come right after this parable. And I don't think this is by accident, friends. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, watch this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his sister, his wife, that is, and children, his brothers and sisters, his own life, he can't be my disciple. He said, you got to decide if I'm number one in your life. Notice it says, you cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me, what do the next four words say? Cannot be my disciple. Jesus is calling us this most amazing thing in the world. But mark it well, friends. It's on his terms not yours. He's calling us to this incredible thing called the kingdom. He's calling us to share in the most amazing adventure. But he says, I'm calling you not simply as a participant, but as a partner. You still want to come? You still want in? And I think he's still calling people today that same way. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will be back to continue his message in just a moment. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedesalmministries.org and click on the donate button. Dave DeSalm Ministries is here to resource everyday pastors as they seek to equip everyday people to become everyday disciples one of the ways that we do that is through coaching. In the coaching relationship, pastors and leaders have the opportunity to receive individualized, practical guidance from Dave on the issues they're facing in life and ministry. These one-on-one sessions offer a safe place to discuss some of the unique challenges you're facing with someone who's a bit further down the road of ministry. DDM also offers coaching groups, bringing the coaching relationship into the small group setting. It's a personal space where conversation can take place, relationships can be formed, and hope and help discovered. If you'd like to learn more about coaching, go to davedesalmministries.org or email us at info at davedesalmministries.org. Now here's Dave with the rest of today's teaching. This idea of reaching out then to the margins is the second aspect of this. He began to reach out to the margins. And it said here in verse 23, make them come in. Do you see that phrase? Go out to the streets and make them come in. Down through the year, historic Christianity has really done a bad job with this. This is what prompted things like the Crusades, the Inquisitions, 
and persecutions. The idea of making people convert to Christianity. Nothing could be further from the heart of God. So how do you make people come in? How do you compel people to come in? I think he was saying, was, what he was saying was this. I'm going to ask you, even though, in a sense, here's the parable takes a twist. You've been invited to the banquet. But before you fully celebrate, why don't you see if you can bring somebody else with you? Who do you know who doesn't know how great the banquet is and how broad the invitation is? Who could you bring with you? Go out. Go out and call in people who many folks thought, I don't have a chance. I'm too broken. I'm too marginalized. I'm too stained. Go get them. Bring them with you. Bring them with you. Compel them to come in. I thought about about this. It's one thing, and this room's crowded today, and I thought, man, how about all the people who aren't here? How about all the chairs that are still empty? How about all those who don't have a clue as to how great the kingdom really is? Yesterday, our small group went out and did a go-day project together. That was a great time, always is. For about three or four hours, we went um, to a lady's house named Margie, and uh, Margie's a great lady, had three strokes and had a lot of yard work to do. So we had a good time being together. And at the end, she just, she couldn't believe that we would be there. And at the end, Jeff, who was our leader that day, we gathered around. We said, well, Margie, we're done. We may come back next month and help some more. And she said, would you come back? We said, sure. And then Jeff said, can we pray for you? Uh, Sure, she said. We said, what can we pray for? And she said, I'll pray for my son's job. And she she'd never had people ask if they could pray for her. So we bowed our heads to pray, and I peeked. <laughs> and Margie's just standing there, kind of blinking her eyes. And she heard people praying for her, and she'd never heard that before. I don't know if anybody ever prayed for Margie before. And we left, and... I went ahead and finished my day. I had to do a wedding yesterday and all that kind of stuff. This morning, Gwen and I always get up really, really early on Sundays. And I woke up this morning and I realized who I, that I was praying. You ever wake up praying in a sense? And I was praying for Margie. She, would just, she had been on my mind through the night. Like, God, what next steps can I take to compel her to come to the banquet? Does it mean going back next month? I'm not going to drop tracks off on her porch. I'm not going to get a bullhorn and speak to her through the windows. How do I compel Margie to come to the banquet? It's going to have to be love and sacrifice and service and doing whatever it takes. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You come to the banquet? Great. Who are you bringing? Who do you know? I don't know him. You don't know Margie. I can work with Margie. I can't work with the person that you know. Who do you know? Who do you know? So let me see if I can, some of you have been dying to fill your blanks in. So let me now give you the chance to do it. Here we come. First of all, I see in this parable that God invites us to a great banquet. God invites us to a great banquet. All too often, God has presented to people as some kind of a tyrant, some mean-spirited, miserly kind of deity. You look at all too many, they think the Christian life is more like a funeral than a feast. And yet, God is the, God is the ultimate party thrower. He's the ultimate party thrower. 
It says back in Isaiah 55 that God says, there's this banquet, I want you to eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. The parable of the prodigal son, when the boy comes home, the father throws a what? A party. At the end of the age, what did Jesus say in the book of Revelation? Where will we be gathered with all the saints from all time, from all across the world? We're going to be gathered together this amazing thing called the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're all together, and it's going to be a party. God is the ultimate banquet thrower, and I love how he invites people in verse 17. I love that word, come, come, come. Everything's ready. Mark it well, it doesn't say do or pay or perform. It doesn't say jump through religious hoops, fulfill religious rituals. He just says, come. All things are ready. It's all been prepared. The payment has been supplied. You come. Thus we see God inviting people. Second, God's invitation can be refused. If you get nothing else from this parable, get this. Every one of you in this room and every person you know has been given this wonderful, terrible privilege. Your own free will. I thought, why would people not want to be part of the party today? Probably for the same three reasons why they said no in that day. For some, it's the preoccupation with business. I've just bought some land. How many do you know when you try to share with him about this wonderful banquet? They're so involved in making a living, they never make a life. They're so busy with business, they never think about the state of their own soul. Didn't Jesus put it well? What does it profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his what? His soul. Do you know some who are so preoccupied with business, they never get around to the kingdom? Or there's a distraction of things. I know a lot of people who won't be full kingdom players because they're so busy with their toys. They're so busy with their stuff. They're so busy celebrating what they want to celebrate. And finally, there could be the affection of another. How many do you know? who won't come to the party, won't come to the banquet, because there is a relationship they won't give up. There is a person who is keeping them from the banquet. It's hard to understand. And this very real part of me, I look at some of you, dead level honest. I want to come up to you and take you by the shoulders and say, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Why are you living this way? Why are you living this kind of a life when you could be at the banquet? But I can't decide for you. I can't decide for you. Next point. God is angered with our excuses. You saw that in the text, didn't you? We don't like to talk much about the anger of God. But the master of the banquet realized how much had been paid and when they made lame excuses, it was indefensible. God's son gave his life to get your ticket. He gave you the clothes that are clean to wear. And when you say, I don't want it, no. God rightly is angry. Here's a scary thing. I think the people in this parable and all too many today think another invitation is going to come. How many do you know? 
I think people in that day. Okay, I'm going to blow off this party, but I'll get another invitation from the guy. They didn't. In another parable, Jesus talks about how there was this great banquet, and it says, the door was locked, and people tried to get in, but now it was too late. And it says there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as people realized they had waited too long. Mark it well. There comes a time when it's too late. It still does. Finally, God asks us to invite in the least, the last, and the lost. While the master calls us to the banquet, we're also servants. And I think what he's saying to us is, you've got to make a decision. Are you simply going to celebrate what you have, or are you going to remember the margins of your life? The people who aren't here yet. The empty chairs beside you. The people that you know, and only you can compel to come in by virtue of the life you live and the love you show and the words you share. You have to decide whether or not you're going to be, see yourself in this parable. Guess who's coming to dinner? You might be surprised. In fact, I think we'll all be surprised. You'll be surprised that day at the wedding feast of the Lamb with those who aren't there. People you thought were going to be there, they're not going to be there. And you'll be surprised with the people who you thought didn't have a chance And by golly, there they are, and they'll be there. Where do you see yourself in this parable? You see yourself as an excuse maker? What are the reasons why you wouldn't come to the banquet today? What excuses have you been making? And are you banking on the idea that, well, one day I'll do it, but not yet? What if it's too late one day? Maybe you're a responder to the invitation. Maybe you haven't even been in church a whole lot. And you thought, wow, I always thought you had to join this place or pay a lot of money or do some ritual stuff or jump through some hoops or just come. All things have been prepared. The price has been paid. The garments are here. And Jesus offers you that. Finally, a servant sent with an invitation. Who do you know that doesn't have a clue how great the banquet is? They think they don't have a chance. Maybe you're the one who would compel them to come. Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like more information on how you can begin a relationship with Christ, or you just want to let Pastor Dave know how much this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.